Welcome to the Kazan Podcast. I'm Samanipur, hosting this podcast in Toronto, Canada. We are going to talk with the founders of Nakring. Their company is in seed stage, and they are here to share with us their story. Everybody, welcome to the Kazan Podcast. Today's guests are the founders of Nakring. Two of them are serial entrepreneurs, and the other one is a world-class AI engineer. Here, we are dealing with the college dropouts. Not normal university, but prestigious University of Toronto. I think it's better for you guys to introduce yourself, and then we will start with what was your reason to coming out of the college? Yes, Maz, please. Cool. Yeah, hi everyone, my name is Maz. Uh, I'm a co-founder and COO at Nakri, and I guess I'm dropout number number one or number two who dropped out first. Jones, did you drop out first or did I drop out first? I might have I, dropped out first. Okay, so I'm dropout number two on the Nakri team. Yeah. You know, I followed suit. But uh, yeah, my name is Maz and I'll... Yeah, uh, yeah, John Zavansari. Uh, I'm a co-founder and CEO of Nakri and uh, I think the first time I dropped out was um, <laughs> summer of 2009. Right. And then I was teaching English in the Middle East and then I came back joined UFT back again in 2012 and then I, I decided to leave school again. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey guys, my name's uh, Faisal. Um, I'm the CTO and co-founder of Nakri. Uh, I guess I'm uh, dropout number zero. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I didn't drop out, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> the only educated one of us. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm, um, uh, I went to UFT, did my master's, uh, really passionate about machine learning, AI. Uh, I um, am uh, like uh, off late, been really active in algorithmic fairness, uh, talk a lot about that, promoting that in the community and everything and really striving to be a leader in AI technologies. Oh man, that's very good. And I heard that you had some talks in Vector Institute. That's nice. Yeah. I think you're leading the AI in Toronto somehow. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, trying to, I guess. That's very nice. So as Moz and Jay, they were like, from the beginning of this company together, we will start from them that, how they decided to come in and like start the company. Right. I think you do a great job yeah. at so, it. So I think first to highlight is that uh, like we've known each other since high school since grade nine so uh you know i met him september of 2003 in uh in a business class funny enough yeah. actually in a computer's business class yeah uh and we in our wildest dreams we would have never imagined us working together uh 10 15 like years later and uh you know we started up our first business which was in men's fashion and like maz and i learned quite a lot there it was ranked uh, uh, top 10 in Toronto on on Bay and Front End. When we got like candidates that were great on paper and on and not in person, we just said that, you know, there has to be a better solution. And that experience, like coupled with myself applying to jobs and, you know, of a long ethnic name, it's uh, Jahan Zabansari. And I wouldn't hear back from uh, employers and Moz 
told me to anglicize that. So, you know, we went from Jacob, uh, you know, Jason uh, to like Jordan. And within four to six weeks, we got a job. Um, and uh, we got a job. I, I, got a job. <laughs> I got a job. I got a job. I got a job. And, and you know, we just like felt that there's so many people that are being overlooked unfairly. And, and then that's when we came together and Faisal had come from from like Bangalore. So he was out in India, in South India, working for Sony. And then he was doing and then he came in 2015 doing his master's um, at UFT. And then we all came together and we just solved this problem. And here we are. That's very nice. But there are two things that I think it stands out in your life. One of them is that the decision that you made when you're like coming out of the university. That's the thing that usually people they don't do because they're afraid of and the second one is that I think both of you have had good like corporate jobs and how you decided to come out like of that place. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So so like I mean in terms of university um, I think it falls that it's unique to everybody in terms of their decision as to why they want to drop out uh, for me personally it was like a there's like different life circumstances uh, where I felt like it just wasn't the right time for me to be doing university. So I ended up getting a job at RBC, which was very nice, and it was a corporate job. And uh, I land, it, was, it, it, was, it was a quite a good job, especially as like somebody who uh, hadn't even graduated like university. Normally people would get that job after graduating university. And I got a good grasp of what the corporate culture was like and what it was to work in terms of a nine-to-five environment. And while I learned an immense amount of things that were advantageous for me, especially going on in the future, um, I quickly also realized that it wasn't something that I wanted to do, uh, aside from like you know from a career perspective, but just the type of person that I am, I think I don't jive well with the whole nine to five lifestyle. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, it's just basically what works for you and what doesn't. And I learned that um, having worked at a bank for around a year and a half. And that's when I decided that I wanted to try something on my own um, with actually a bunch of friends. And that's where the Darcy, the, the suit business actually started from. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my, my journey uh, in terms of dropping out and then uh, starting something for ourselves. That's nice. Yeah, uh, you know, like, I think universities, uh, universities obviously have their prestigious place in the society, right? But at the same time, uh, for a lot of things, university has this big divide uh, between the real world and uh, what they actually teach in university, especially when it comes to like things like entrepreneurship, um, and I think this is this is a shift that has to happen yeah. uh, at the academic level. Uh, what the example I'm trying to get at is like to succeed, you don't really uh, need to go through university. Yeah. That said, I mean, for sure, it has its value and different people find different values from it. Right. But it's not, the, you know, it's not the silver bullet for success. Yeah. And uh, I feel like it really comes down to how what motivates you and what in type of environment motivates you to thrive. Right. So for some people, that's university going through the education system. Right. For me, it wasn't that it was getting hands on um, creating stuff on my own 
And that's how I started learning and I took the onus on myself to be motivated because I was enjoying what I was doing, right? So it really depends on the type of person you are, really, right? And I found that real world uh, scenarios and creating something and building something was what motivated me to learn and strive and get better rather than um, being in a classroom and listening to uh, lectures, for example, or reading. Well, I did do a lot of, it's funny that I say that, but like, you know, I watch a lot of lectures on YouTube, right? <laughs> yeah. And I still read, but it's to take that knowledge and immediately apply it in a real world uh, environment. Exactly. Right? I think rather education's, than, yeah. education is important. Yeah. That's something we got to agree yeah. upon. It's just like keep an open mind when you're getting educated, right? You shouldn't fall prey to like indoctrination of academic institutions. Yeah, I think I think for me, um, like you know, I think for me it's more like, uh, you know, because of the community that we come from. I, I think mm -hmm. for me it was just more like going to school and satisfying that check mark yeah. for like parents and getting a job and being able for them to say, oh yeah, my kid like went to like this and this school and he's a doctor, or accountant, he's a lawyer. Uh, so I think maybe for in in my case I went to school for the wrong reasons I went to to university yeah. for the wrong reasons, right? Um, and and obviously if there was something maybe in entrepreneurship or like startups mm -hmm. uh, that would really allow us as Maz said for you know to excel in creativity and to be able to build something I think that would be extremely phenomenal phenomenal but um, but I think like the way we have been trained is hey you know you go to school not really for education but you go to school as a stepping stone to get a job it's not to be educated like and the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that like you know we've come to canada as immigrants and and the fact is that yes you know it's nice to have a degree but the main like reason to get that is to get a job mm -hmm. and i think like once you know that's no longer valuable to you because you're not in this to get a job then your motivation is gonna die and that's what happened you know it, it's like if i can just like make it out on myself i don't need this right yeah so yeah, i agree yep. with that especially, that's a fair point yep. yeah no i agree with that especially with like the you know for us like the cultural expectation yeah um of going to school, getting a job, even expectation in the type of career that you want to, uh, that, that is sought after within like our community, right? So definitely I was just following that path because that's what was established. That's what is ingrained in you very early yeah. on, right? Yeah. And you know what, with that being said, like we, you know, I mean, specializing in a, in a niche is still important. Like, yeah. I wouldn't go to a surgeon who I know has just learned to, on himself. <laughs> right, right? Like, on YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube. <laughs> or, 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 like, I wouldn't go to an accountant uh, who, he, he, you know, who doesn't, like, know his ins and out of the Canadian, like, government structure. Uh, as an example, so there are certain, like, functions within society that I feel it's extremely important for you to get either a certification or you know a degree, a master's, a PhD, but there's a lot of stuff that you don't, and it's you know, and you can just uh, figure it out as you're going. And I think if you have the hunger to make it happen, you'll just like learn it. 
Yeah, that's true. Very true. That was the first fear. The second fear that people usually face is the fear that like when they are going out of the like corporate job or like this like dropping out of university, how they are going to sustain their lifestyle or how they are going to gain money. The thing is that I think each one of you in your life through the story of Nakri, you were just facing this problem mm. that you didn't have any income or your income was so less that you couldn't like sustain your lifestyle. So I'm interested to know your idea also about how you were just managing that fear mm-hmm. when you were doing that and accepting that like there is no money there and we should go out and like start doing something out from scratch. Mm. Um, that's a good question, man. I think some of that fear manifests into hunger, right? Uh, when it comes to making sure that there, you have to ensure that you're going to succeed and there's no plan B, right? That's something that we've spoken about quite a lot. Uh, so that fear definitely manifests into hunger. Um, in addition to that, like, you know, there's sometimes I'd say, you know, I made smart decisions. Sometimes I made like, you know, careless decisions. Um, if I had to change something, I don't know if I necessarily would, but like, because the outcome, I still got to the outcome that I wanted to, but like maybe I could have been a little bit more wiser in certain aspects. But the thing is like, you know, if there's anybody out there that is thinking of taking that plunge, it's always, I'd say it's always recommended to make sure that whatever, let's say your side hustle might be, uh, it's validated you're starting to get some sort of traction out of it you're starting to earn some money while you still have something that's concrete and uh that uh is guaranteed in terms of income and then once that side hustle eventually gets to the point that it requires a lot more attention um for the growth that's when you make that transition right um but hey like our story is pretty crazy like even especially with like knockery when we were starting out we, I think both Jahanzib and I were at a point where our funds were quite low um, and we were just like, listen, we know that we're dropouts, right? Uh, we know that we have the spirit to like do something and create something and we have to make it happen by any means necessary. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that in our case, particularly because we already had a first business so we were so we knew like what it feels like to not have a lot of money and to go into something and then have to like suffer through a period of time but like like once you you work hard enough you can almost quantify how hard you work and correlate that to some level of like revenue and and like and we had an understanding that that is possible and as ma said like you know if you want it bad enough um you know but you need to have that endless belief that it can happen for you. That's the main thing is that there are going to be like days of hopelessness, um, days of like you, you don't have any money. Like we didn't have a lot of money. We had very little money when we started off. But like we had that belief that, hey, we're solving a big problem. And hey, we might like pivot during this, but we'll like we're gonna come through. Like it's gonna happen for us. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that endless like belief throughout the journey is what really helps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you don't have that to start off with, or you're fearful just jumping into it, um, you're gonna just like jinx yourself out. Yeah. yeah. And I think flexibility is key as well. So yeah. a in terms of being flexible with your lifestyle, right? Being able to make sure that if you're uh, 
you know, you're low on money, you are able to still sustain, uh, you adjust your lifestyle based on that, right? And then the second thing is flexibility in terms of, as Jay was kind of alluding to, sure, you have this um, strength in belief that you're going to create something, but you need to also make sure that if that initial vision that you had requires fine tuning and changing, um, you are you have that flexibility within you to make sure that you do that, right? And I think the end goal is always like finding success and not necessarily finding success in your initial idea that you have as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. Right? Yeah, it's about in general having like a tough mindset yeah. and at the same time being like optimistic as well, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you cannot like, uh, uh, you cannot let like, because... Uh, like you know like Jahanzeb was saying there will be days of hopelessness yeah. you cannot let that uh, affect you and like put you down yeah. you gotta come back up with hope and strength to like fight through it and yeah stuff, right? and even like with Fasil like I mean like you know and I'm sure you can speak to it as well like Fasil is in a very good like you know position in terms of his career uh, he had just finished off his masters opportunities were plenty but he decided to jump into the ship of like starting yeah. a business a startup with like yeah. these two guys right so yeah, how do you make that decision actually because yeah. it was yeah. like you had you had a good corporate job yeah. and wherever you right. wanted to go you could go because you were just uh, graduated right. from university of toronto yeah and from the other hand it was like you you had just came to canada and you didn't have the base that these guys have like their family yeah. home is in here and like they have everything in here at least if they it's not going to, it's, it wasn't successful they could go back to their like father's house and like be in the garage yeah but for you it wasn't like that if you were not uh, like becoming successful you end up in the streets not right. in the garage of your parents yeah that's a good question well i could get a if, if it didn't work out i could probably go out and get a job but uh <laughs> Right. But but still, like, I think uh, what was also interesting for me at that point was, like, uh, the day, uh, during the days I was, like, talking to John Zabe and Murtada about starting Nakri is the same time I was, like, planning to get married. Uh, and it was happening, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> happening at the same time. And there was just, like, it just didn't seem intuitive or, like, uh, seemed, like, logical to make a decision to go from a stable uh, corporate uh, career to an uncertain um, never know what's going to happen sort of career move at the time that you're getting married in a new country where you're a immigrant you've been a student and recently like graduated right and I think it was just that belief at that time that you know people would say maybe this is not the right time you know you've got to settle down a bit and then take it slowly but but if you you're in that mindset i i think like there's never going to be the right time right mm -hmm. you got to make the right time for yourself you got to tell yourself today's the right time and just go for it yeah uh, and i think like sometimes when i think about Faisal is that like you know he came to do his masters here and you know there are definitely expectations from from like family like right i mean he's here as an in international student initially and then you know he gets his immigration and uh, he completes his masters and then he gets married so for him to just take that risk 
is is immense. Like for him yeah. to e- even like think about that because his peers that are graduating are getting jobs at Microsoft, Amazon, Google, uh, you know, CPPIB, you name it. Uh, so 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 for him to just come on board like that and be able to trust us two pirates. <laughs> uh, is Pirates. you know was 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 yeah. very uh, you know it's been it's yeah. been it's been a great journey so far. Yeah, yeah. Man. and what allows for that that decision making is just that it's just the mindset and that optimism, that minds that tough mindset of and the resilience, you know, mm. of like you you gotta trust in yourself that I can make this happen. Yeah, uh, and from that trust, what comes is like persistence and determination. And all of those attributes, right? So yeah, and I think I I guess like between the three of us, obviously we share a bunch of stuff in common. But I think in this vein is all like the want to build something, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, create something, and that's what drove us, and I think that caused that convergence, right, between like the three of us. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Like in you guys, you wanted to like really deliver value. For you, the valuation is co- of company is not very important. Like mm-hmm. I see with other teams, but for you, the important thing is like really you deliver the value. And speaking of that, please tell me about like the first days of Nokri. How you were doing this thing? How you? What was the first idea of the Nokri? Like what you were doing back then, and how you pivoted or like iterated toward like getting to what you're here now. Yeah, so uh, you know, initially we started off with um, with a mobile app, right? So we felt that um, that uh, that you know what what we had initially created was the Tinder slash Snapchat of customer facing jobs for retail and hospitality. So, for example, at a, at a Tim Hortons, the hiring manager needs. Uh, people and you know, so we thought that people could apply through short video questions over a mobile app. And w- while you know we, we had a good short run with that, uh, we realized it became very difficult for us because we had to have a marketplace. So onboarding employers and onboarding talent at the same time as well. And a couple of months into it, it was very like frustrating because I remember Maz and I like putting up posters at UFT for to to get people to use the app and download the app, and we just <laughs> it was just a period of like massive frustration. And we said, "Hey, listen, organizations, especially larger companies, they already have a ton of talent that's applying." If we can hack the system somehow and just provide them with a solution that would screen the talent, why not do that? Yeah, there's that. And then there's there's like a few other things as well, right? Like, I mean, we did like a lot of validation for that initial um, idea yeah. in terms of the MVP, right? And I forgot about that yeah. part. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's we a went, great part. Yeah, we went to like, you know, different universities. We went to UFT, we went to Ryerson. Sure. We went to Sheridan College. Uh, like two campuses at Sheridan College. Yeah. And we got students to, we were like, hey, listen, this um, place is hiring. Um, would you like to apply to it? You just need to answer a few questions through video. Um, and we would show it to the hiring manager. And, you know, you could potentially be called in for an interview. And we wanted to see if people were open to recording themselves on video for like a retail or hospitality job. 
and we got some pr a pretty good response rate on that actually. Uh, we were pleasantly surprised, but again, like you know, the problem is that well, we quickly learned the effort in terms of acquiring on scale, um, you know, those uh, candidates as well as onboarding companies was a whole can of worms and is way too expensive. And what we also learned was that the industry wasn't right for the type of solution that we were trying to provide because sure, you know, we say customer service matters in like retail and hospitality and to a certain extent it does, but their churn and they have high churn, but they don't put, you know, as much money in terms of training and priority into things like soft skills for uh, their job candidates as let's say a Fortune 500 company would for a consulting role. Right, so there's a few quick learning lessons that we had, um, and I mean, like, we have some pretty amazing stories at that time. Like as Jay was saying, we were getting like you know posters, putting them all around UFT and Ryerson, and we weren't supposed to, right? So they were getting pushed, pulled out, yeah. and we were like <laughs> repost them, and this is like in the thick of winter. It was probably like minus 20 degrees Celsius at wow. that time. We had our gloves on. There was like snot coming out of our nose, right? Full leather, ja I mean, full like winter jackets, just stapling or like, you know, taping stuff. And uh, it was a MVP of the product too. We didn't really have a full functioning app just yet. Uh, we just had people text us and let us know that they wanted a job. And we got the videos to show to the hiring managers. But yeah, we quickly learned that, hey, A, these uh, retail hospitality businesses, they're not willing to invest too much in terms of good soft skills for candidates. And we know that Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 businesses already have so much volume coming in in terms of candidates that are applying and they don't know how to deal with it. And there's no effective way and consistent way of gauging and screening them mm -hmm. and bringing in the right candidates for an interview. Learning that, we made our transition into where we are right now. Yeah. That's very nice. And when Faisal joined you, uh, when did from in the journey? Yeah, I think it was like really journey? early. Oh, yeah. I would say like six months yeah. into like when you guys were uh, validating uh, yeah. and piloting with a very basic MVP. Uh, that's very nice. But there is a point that I want to like talk about in here and mm -hmm. you guys maybe if you talk about more more in detail it will help other entrepreneurs out there that they're dealing with the same issues that they want to build like a product mm -hmm. or probably there are like co-founders three co-founders that one of them probably is not functioning in the level that like they require them to function or like have that uh, competency that it's not there probably for whatever reason that is probably that guy is working somewhere else or something like that mm -hmm. so you guys had the same issue and you dealt with it. Can you tell me in more detail, like how you dealt with it? Like Faisal touched on it, that it was like the exact moment that he was like uh, presenting the MVP to you guys. But from that moment that you understood that probably that co-founder of yours is not going to be like the best co-founder to the time that you finalized the deal. From that moment to the finish time, how it was happening and like yeah so so you know what in our case we, we were very fortunate that it was organic in the sense that uh you know i think we all had a, a mutual understanding that if an individual can't provide a lot of value they would just sort of leave themselves and that's what had sort of happened where you know uh it's just that as maz was saying he wasn't the 
best fit to solve that specific problem. And once he realized that, you know, he was able to uh, like let us know that, hey, you know, it's probably better somebody else click takes a lead on this, right? And on top of that, as you can imagine, we were extremely early on at that stage, right? So there's no like promise of this massive building, uh, sorry, like business that you're trying to build. Uh, so A, there's no promise of that at that early stage. And secondly, it's just a mutual understanding, you know, and organically, if you can't add value, then, uh, you know, you just got to like make space for somebody who can. So I think we were very like fortunate in the way that it wasn't a messy sort of like divorce. Yeah. Mm. And I think also like, you know, it, it becomes very apparent eventually, or even like I say relatively early on in terms of like the co-founders, like where your passions lie, right? Especially if you know the person, right? And uh, we knew that, you know, uh, Jay and I were like super passionate about what it was that we were trying to solve, what we, what we wanted to build, especially, you know, it's building a technology company, right? That was a huge passion for us. <laughs> Um, solving the problem that we were solving, that was a huge passion for us. For the other co-founder, it wasn't as much uh, of a passion, right? So very early on, you kind of see that, and as Jay is saying, it's just like, it was, all parties recognized it, and it was great that he was able to be like, okay, you, you know what, he's a great guy, he's like, you know what, it's not the best fit for me, you know, it's not really working out, so, uh, I think I should also be moving like we obviously had like that kind of discussion as well and everybody was on the same page right but I think a lot of this can be a, um, when people are picking out their co-founders like you know there's a, a few main uh, pieces of universal advice that everybody says make sure you've personally like you know worked with them in the past you know them maybe they're your friends right these things help mitigate any kind of problems you have to make sure as well that everybody has ownership of the idea that you guys are uh, that you guys are creating, right? So there, there's a personal investment mm -hmm. in it, and they're not like necessarily attached to the idea, right? Like they're just like somebody you just attached them to the team, and that's it, right? And I think with Fassel when he came on, it soon you know him having that certain kind of like ownership or that sense of belonging in terms of being able to rise to this challenge and solve this problem through machine learning is what immediately got him uh, assimilated into the rest of the co-founding team, right? And it could have very easily gone the other way if we didn't uh, organically uh, let that happen, right? And acknowledge that, because then Fasil could just be like, yo, listen, these guys just want me to, uh, they've just attached me to this business mm -hmm. and, uh, they just want me to like you know build this stuff because I'm like the tech guy yeah. and that's pretty much it right he he wouldn't have the same amount of passion probably wouldn't have even stuck around right <laughs> yeah. so that's a huge a huge thing as well yeah and I think it also like circles back uh, to the value because I feel like especially for technology leaders uh, and by technology leaders I mean like leaders who are technical um, in their craft. Uh, it's important for them to understand the value that you're providing to the customer. Mm. Uh, and a lot of times, like, uh, you know, technical people don't really understand the depth or the gravity of that situation. Mm. They're more invested in 
in the technology itself and not in like the value that the technology is providing. It is important when you're finding especially a technical co-founder that you see you see that your technical co-founder uh, sees that sees the value sees what how can technology provide value to the customer uh, yeah I think that is uh, that is a really key point yeah uh, and I think one other thing that kind of get keeps co-founding teams together um, at least this is my own personal anecdote and I feel like maybe from the things that I've seen it doesn't get talked a lot often is that we seek uh, inspiration and motivation from one another right so like I know there's a lot of times when I see a Jay do something or say something or just the way that he's like you know behaving or like you know he brings something to the table where I personally get inspired by that and I get like motivated by that similarly same with like Fassel when he uh, takes action on doing something or he brings a certain idea to the table or he just has a certain mentality I use them as you know um, that that fruit that helps me cultivate myself as well and hopefully you know they see glimpses of that from myself as well where you know I yeah, operate in a certain way right so like that I think is something that also goes unsaid a lot of the time where the co-founding team for them to like you know stick together they constantly see one one another as a source of inspiration I see yeah. I see very good point and there is another one that I want to ask you about, and that is about the funding. The thing that usually the early companies struggle a lot with that one. Today we were talking together and you said that the first funding was about 30K, $30,000, and then the you grant, just, yeah. the grant, yeah, and you just uh, keep with it like the company alive about nine months, and then the other funds yeah. came in. Can you tell me about the journey of your like gathering <laughs> the funds and like yeah how you we made company like keep company alive actually. we used to carpool <laughs> yeah yeah and hey those yeah. were some rough mornings sometimes man especially with this guy he, yeah. he wants to always be by himself in the morning right and and, and, and he had, had to, to drive out of his way out of his way to yeah. pick us up yeah that was that was yeah, pretty good i think yeah. like what, what like okay so the 30k yeah so the 30 so okay so we were lucky like we got some money from friends and family but I think the initial initial one, like initial initially, was very difficult for us to even just like raise any sort of money. Yeah. I think that was the hardest. Yeah. Was for us to, like, to enable us to actually like, get somebody to believe in what we were doing. Like we're not, you know, repeat tech CEOs or like tech co-founders. Uh, so I think that initial. Uh, like funds that we had to raise from friends and family was very difficult but then I think from that and just the momentum and our you know ability to like work together as you're saying like carpooling and just taking almost peanuts as a salary like yeah. peanuts like I think we took like an amount that's even below minimum wage and we went so far with it but what that did for us is that it really uh, allowed us to like figure out who the customer is, who to sell to, and just generate a lot of revenue. And I think that was extremely important. Like that journey of being re like resilient and having no money was so important because now it's made us so much stronger. Like we know what we came from and if shit hits the fan, 
And if we have to go back there, we know how to live that life. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll still come back up. Yeah. Exactly. I think it circles back to like what Maz was talking about of that flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be ready for that. Yeah. Uh, you got to be flexible to be able to survive and at the same time be like persistent and have the strength to like keep going, keep going yeah. at it. And yeah, uh, you're, yeah, and it's like, you know, your hardships like prepare you for success, right? So for us, it was like, Listen, we're already so used, we were so broke at one point that even paying ourselves below minimum wage was slightly an improvement in terms of quality <laughs> of life, right? And we were able to like, you know, maintain that, make smart decisions so that we could take that money as long as we could, right? And that was because we had previously experienced hardships, right? That prepared us for that uh, situation yeah. and we were a lot smarter about we- it. Yeah. And we like wanted it so badly yeah. that we, we were like willing to suffer. Yeah. We said, you know what, it's okay, we'll suffer now, yeah. but there is going to be that one day where we're going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like uh, we, we would, uh, yeah, we had, <laughs> like I remember the time when with cell phone, like bills, like Moz knew like all... <laughs> He knew where to get Wi-Fi in all the places, yeah. so yeah. we could access internet. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. So, like, legitimately, there was a time I was so broke I didn't have like a phone line, right? And oh. basically, like, you know, there's like some companies that you could uh, download an app. They'll give you like, you know, uh, a local phone number, uh, but you can only work. Uh, it, it only works through like Wi-Fi or, or data, right? So the only time I got calls or was able to t- make calls was when I was connected to Wi-Fi. So I knew like all the Wi-Fi hotspots in the city of Toronto, <laughs> in Mississauga, wherever, like, you know, I was, I had the entire blueprint in my mind. So th- those were like the type of adversities that we had faced, right, uh, and got through. And the other thing, you know, what's crazy though, now that I'm thinking about it, is that despite all of that, I don't think there was ever a point where like, where we necessarily had sat down and been like, look guys, like we, we wanna do this business because we want to make X amount of salary per week, or I mean two weeks or per month. Um, and this is what's driving us. That's never, like, especially earlier on, we never had those type of conversations. It was always about, listen, we have to build something amazing and we need to get this done and we have this idea, we know we're onto something and let's go and execute this. Yeah. So the, it's just a very stark difference to like, you know, other stories that I've heard from like other people, for example, or even in the past, like for our previous startup, uh, you know, our goals were more so based on the amount of salary we wanted to pay ourselves, right? But this was, was totally different. And I think that motivation just allowed for us to get to our goals a lot faster, which in turn um, allowed for us to be able to, you know, sustain ourselves and pay ourselves more as time went by. Yeah, I think the other like uh, very important aspect of uh, entrepreneurship is how do you deal with rejections? Mm. Uh, And, you know, when you were talking just now, I was thinking, you know, there is never there has never been a discussion amongst us whenever uh, we've like after a rejection, we faced a lot of rejection. Yeah. And never after rejection have we had a discussion. Yo, what are we doing? How how, yeah. how you know like how's this happening? We can we can't see a way forward. Never like anytime we come out of rejection, we're like, 
whatever. Maybe we take a bed, uh, you know, we like take our time. But the next discussion that we have is like, all right, next steps. Here's this, 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 yeah. right? So, uh, and I think that is one quality that is very important for entrepreneurs is the ability to deal uh, positively with rejections. Yeah. For sure, yeah. to have them as learning experiences because re- rejections are going to be plentiful, right? And if you're not able to deal with them, there's no way that you're going to be able to succeed in entrepreneurship. And I think in life generally, right? in life yeah, generally, in life generally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, especially like sometimes you will get rejection from the place you never expected. Yeah. Sometimes you're so confident that I'm definitely going to get this, yeah. but then still like. You know, Some shit doesn't happen, happen and yeah. things, things, and, and those are difficult times because personally, like, those are really difficult times. Uh, yeah, no, Faith is looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll just jump into that segue then. Um, yeah, no, Faisal's absolutely right. I mean, like, yeah, we've been rejected a lot of times, and I think the, uh, the rejections that hurt the most are the ones where you feel that you're so close to getting it and you're so confident, but it doesn't happen. I think those are the toughest. But as I say, like when you're going through hell, you got to keep pushing. Uh, and I think like any sort of like rejection that we come, hey, listen, it doesn't happen. We assess it, look at that feedback and just go at it again and again and just change that plan of action. And if you just continuously keep on doing that, you will you will succeed. Um, I mean, you know, there there's it's it's very difficult for you not to succeed if you don't continuously learn from your mistakes and you iterate your plan of action. You can't expect the same results um, if you're using old strategies that just don't work. And I think <laughs> that's that's really important. Yeah, that's very important. How do you see Nokri now? And how do you see future for the Nokri? It's <laughs> mm, a good question. I Future's mean, in good hands. So. Yeah. <laughs> future, like, you know, uh, we have a huge, like, vision for Nokri in terms of where we want to build, uh, what we want to build. You know, we're definitely, like, you know, shooting to, uh, uh, you know, shooting to the stars, maybe shooting outside of this galaxy, you know. Um, how I see Naki right now, I mean, we've come a long way. You know, we, very honestly, we we don't have a lot of opportunity to actually sit down and really assess how, you know, like get the opportunity to stop and smell the roses, right? Because we're just so constantly on the go. It's like onto the next thing, onto the next thing, just going through that journey that I think none of us truly, while we're tremendously grateful in terms of what we've been able to achieve, we don't we haven't truly taken in just like you know how far we've come how much progress we've taken and if i'm sure a third person was to see it they'd be like wow this is amazing right but like for us we're still in the thick of it right we're still in the trenches so it's difficult for me to provide that context but i mean i'm very happy in terms of what us as a team have been able to uh, accomplish you know we've been able to lock down multi-year contracts with like you know fortune 1000 businesses uh, on a global scale, which is, which is quite amazing, right? And I mean, for us, it's still like you know full steam ahead, and we want to shoot, you know, for the stars, right? So, that's yeah. nice. That's nice. <laughs> Any ideas from the dev side or 
from your side, Jay? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think by at this point we've uh, the way I see it is like we've been able to like provide some like amazing value to a few people, right? right? Uh, we've proven something, but now is the time to like scale that. Now is the time to like take that the value that we're providing and go go big with it, like to everybody out there that's struggling with that with the problem that we're solving. And as part of that process, uh, for sure, we want to like cre- create uh, a great product, have like customers love us. But at the same time, we're also like at least I am. I'm sure like we all are. We're very passionate about like just building a great team and a great mm-hmm. company internally. Uh, yeah. And I mean, sometimes you don't you think of that as a byproduct of uh, the value that you're providing to a customer. But then I know like we're, at least uh, I'm also at the same time very uh, excited about right. the prospect of just growing our own, growing ourselves, growing our team, growing Nakri, you know, right. bringing on new people, creating that culture internally. Uh, enjoying because those are the people that you work with every day. Yeah, basically we don't have lives. Okay? <laughs> yeah. We need to hire our friends. That's what's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is one thing that uh, I think it's better I ask for every interview of mine, and that is the impact of the company. What do you like the impact of Nokri B now and in the future? when it's like that impact is like happening that you're really happy what is the impact of that that you're feeling yeah so so you know there there are a couple of impacts that we look at right number one is that you know as maz was saying now we've rolled out the technology with certain organizations like globally so i mean if you think about it on a small scale we're making sure that uh you know female and racial minorities that were being underrepresented and and just not being like surfaced within the shortlist of candidates where we're able to show that uh, employers are now finding like more racial and gender diverse candidates being shortlisted that they're able to bring in for job interviews so our goal is to be able to like to like bridge the gap for minorities that are often overlooked because of implicit or unconscious biases. Um, and I think for us is that, so that's just one component obviously. Number two is the fact that like, we just wanna make the talent acquisition process extremely you know, effective. And you know, just being able to have like a a process that helps an organization save time and money, helps a candidate, you know, when they apply to a job for them to hear back a lot quickly, is something that like you know we aim to like deliver. Um, and I think the other the other like one thing is that. Um, you know, as we're going forward with our technology, like we see ourselves becoming the checker of assessing soft skills as an API solution that would just like plug and play into everything that our customer is using for talent acquisition. Um, and we want to have a tool uh, that the customer would just love, and it's in the hands of the user. Uh, and it would just spread like wildfire. We don't want to be 
a company that's an incumbent uh, that solely focuses on a you know that solely focuses on the brute force of money and spending it on sales and marketing uh, and having to sell the customers subpar products because they have such a great sales and marketing engine we want our tool as an api solution uh, to be seamless uh, and, and that impact uh, should be like created globally uh, and I think like Moz can talk more about how we see the technology being utilized in the future. Yeah, and I mean like you know when it comes while we're like laser focused right now in talent acquisition, uh, the applications to what it is that we're doing in terms of machine learning and building something that's emotionally able to gauge emotional intelligence, the use cases are tremendous, right? And especially us packaging it in an API solution allows for us to hit so many different markets. And uh, that part is very exciting while, you know, it's definitely still a little bit uh, further in our, in our roadmap and in the journey of our uh, company. That's uh, a big motivating factor for us as well to like, you know, let's say that there's never a day that goes by without somebody interacting with like a Nakri API. Right. Wow, that's a vision. Yeah, that's, a vision. <laughs> that's very nice. Okay, I think that summed up our session with the Nokri team. That was very nice, actually. I wish the listeners also enjoyed that. Thank you guys for being here. No, thank you thank for you. having us. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having us. Thank you.